0: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
1: The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com.
0: Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guests, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, right here on Voice America, America's Voice. And we have a great program for you today. We're talking about um, family and changes in the future. My guest is Paul R. Ehrlich. His brand-new book is Humanity on a Tightrope, Thoughts for Empathy, Family, and Big Changes for a Viable Future. Paul Erwick is a professor of population studies and president of the Center for Conserva- Conservation Biology at Stanford University. He's the author of The Population Bomb, one of the first books to bring environmental science to the general public. He's lectured widely over the years. He's written over 40 books. Wow. Welcome, Paul.
0: That's great to be here.
1: Mm,
0: thank you. The secret of writing 40 books is to marry a woman who can write.
1: Wow, that's amazing. Well, this is your latest book. And it looks at possible solutions to our human and planetary predicaments. And yet, it is hopeful. This show is um, Patricia Raskin Positive Living, so we have to have hope involved. So let's first look at what the issues are. What would you say are the most basic problems that we're facing today? Well,
0: the most basic problems that we're facing today are ones that basically aren't part of the everyday political discussion. I thought they were going to be uh, <clears throat> when the uh, at the start of the Obama administration, because he's well aware of them, but uh, the politics have changed. But the, the most serious problems we're facing can be summarized very easily, and that is... Uh, we have too many people on the planet consuming much too, the rich, just the rich consuming much too much, uh, and we are wrecking our life support systems. And this is something that's universally recognized by environmental scientists, but not universally recognized by the public. So we're still burning fossil fuels. We're still disrupting the climate, as people have learned to their distress this winter. Uh, we're still spreading toxic chemicals from pole to pole, which are already affecting human uh, birth ratios, uh, and other things, undoubtedly. Uh, we're, we're doing all those things, in, including uh, stocking nuclear weapons that could end our civilization very uh, very readily. So,
1: you know, when people listen to this and they get discouraged,
0: Yeah am sure get discouraged, what you're saying is, is
1: that th- everybody can do something. What is it that you and I and every person listening can do to
0: help this. The the, the positive side is we haven't given up the ability to change all this. Uh, What we've done is committed ourselves to a political system, which is making it difficult for us to change it. But we have the built-in capacity uh, to do the things we need to do, particularly to put ourselves in the shoes of other people in other parts of the world and understand that we're affecting them and they're affecting us. And perhaps more important... Put ourselves in the shoes of coming generations. I have a great-granddaughter, and I'm disgusted at the kind of world that I'm going to be leaving for her. Uh, and uh, I think everybody ought to care about their great-grandchildren and their great-grandchildren's great-grandchildren. And we have the capacity to do that. We're just not using it the way we should. We've been, we've been improving our capacity over the last 200 right, years. But so
1: what yet, is it uh, I can do as an individual? A, I can recycle. Correct.
0: Yeah, you can recycle, but much more important is to become politically active. In other words, if we if everybody recycled, we'll feel good about it, and it'll delay the end of civilization by twenty minutes. Uh, it's much more serious than that. We've got to push our politicians to stop burning fossil fuels, shut down uh, coal burning plants, phase out the oil burning plants, move to solar energy, start thinking about how many children are good to have for the world rather than how many children do i want to have personally mm-hmm. uh, you know there, there's and again mm-hmm. as an individual you can do a certain amount but we're social animals get together with your friends form organizations join environmental groups join grou- if you're any thing that you're concerned with it'll help society function better will help solve this problem if racial or gender injustice are your thing then fight it but be active and be political about it that look, look be like the people in, in Egypt you know they are demanding that their government change we need to demand that our Yeah but
1: government, not in that way
0: not not in that way but much more strongly than we do mm-hmm. uh after all they they didn't have the vote over there. They couldn't get a fair vote. We can get the vote, and yet we let people lie to us about what the votes mean.
1: Yeah, we have more. We have a lot of power, is what you're saying. Is we have a lot more in power country. than
0: the average Egyptian. Yeah, but they yeah. got out in the street and risked their lives right. uh, to change the way things are.
1: Mm. What do you mean when you say that human beings are small group animals?
0: Well, we have a history of millions of years, and as a species, hundreds of thousands of years. <laughs> Of living in groups between fifty and one hundred and fifty people, our brains are designed for that—the recognition of faces uh, and so on—and uh, even today, since we, we, you know, we're now trying to live in a group not of a hundred or one hundred and fifty people, but seven billion people. Uh, even today, if you look at somebody's Christmas list or the list for the family reunion, or what, it tends to be between 150 and 150 people, and we have managed through various devices uh, to keep our small group animal features with us while we have struggled to learn how to live in gigantic. Now,
1: yeah, is that good? I mean, is that a positive thing or, or no?
0: I, I think it's a positive thing if we use it right. In other words, uh, we get a lot of advantages out of uh, the diversity of our small groups. The thing is, we also would get huge advantages of bringing everybody into the human family and caring in some sense for everyone. It, it's it's a situation sort of parallel to what happened when we had 13 very different colonies in North America. If you know anything about the history of the original 13 colonies, they were extremely different in religion, in religious tolerance, and in the number of slaves they held. There were wars between them. Pennsylvania and Maryland fought border wars, but they got together didn't give up their individuality but got to gave up some of their of their uh individuality in order to be in a position to fight the British and have foreign trade and so on and so forth. And uh if you read the the, the Federalist and anti Federalist papers which describe the arguments over what how the what the Constitution could say, you could see very parallel things to this situation we have today of nation-states that want to retain individuality but have no choice but to get together to solve the truly global problems like climate disruption.
1: And that's where your point on empathy comes in. You really stress empathy, but not just personal empathy. Empathy globally and empathy in our country. Explain that.
0: Well, I, you know, I, I did, let me give a specific example from my own experience. Uh, uh, recently, there was that awful assassination attempt in in uh, uh, Tucson, in which a I think was a nine year old girl got killed. And I think almost every parent I have a daughter I think almost every parent with a child could empathize with the parents of that poor girl. And this terrible situation they were put in, uh, we did it easily. We did it automatically. We, we we empathize easily, but when a predator drone blows up a wedding party uh, in Afghanistan, mm. uh, we don't empathize so easily with the nine-year-old little girl that probably was there, and with her parents who felt just as bad uh, as I'm certain, or worse than the parents of the poor girl in Tucson. We have not yet gotten ourselves to the point. Where we see a lot of the behavior of the United States as not, from point of view, uh, an empathetic point of view uh, with the people that we're trying to get oil and gas from uh, by by military force.
1: So, so where's the solution here, Paul? I mean, I hear a lot of issues, but you know, where's the solution?
0: The, so there, there's a whole series of solutions. There's no one magic bullet, of course, uh, but one is closing what we call the culture gap. Mm. People are today are in a terribly unusual situation for human beings. When I lived with the Eskimos when I was a kid, uh every Eskimo knew every aspect of their culture, that is their non genetic information. The men knew how to use a woman's knife and they didn't do it but they knew how to use an ulu, a woman's knife they knew the women knew how to squat over a hole in the ice for six hours to wait and spear a seal for dinner they didn't do it normally but they knew how to do it everybody sort of knew how everything worked now if you and i were sitting next to each other and somebody put in front of us a pile of parts that would put together into a laptop computer i doubt if either—I know i couldn't and i doubt if you could do it either let alone say where every part came from and how it was manufactured and so on we have now the most educated people in our society know uh... less than a billionth of the information that our society as a whole has and that's a very serious situation that's how you get things like uh uh political candidates who think that Africa is a country uh, rather than a continent. Uh this is how you can get a Congress that is going to ignore climate disruption until it may put an end so to what our you're civil saying?
1: Business. what I'm hearing you say Is we're not educating ourselves enough. We're not up on the issues enough. We've become complacent.
0: Well, that's right. We the the media. I hate to say it. On the media, the media has fallen down on the job. The universities have fallen down on the job. The general education system has fallen down on the job. Mm -hmm. And it's not that we all have to know everything, but there are certain very basic things that every human being who's going to be a functional member of a democratic society has to know you have to know for example why we understand that climate change is being caused by human beings not by natural forces It's not complicated but it's generally not taught anywhere in our school systems or on the media there's still something almost half of the people in the united states think climate disruption is a hoax and that's because a very well-paid set of individuals has been uh, working very hard to introduce uncertainty into something which scientifically there's almost no uncertainty. All and right. so we, uh, have, we have not just a problem of too little education, we also have a problem of too much disinformation and that's a huge problem.
1: Which is the wrong information is what you're saying.
0: Right, exactly.
1: Hmm. Do you think that we have the ability to change these fundamental aspects and fundamental aspects of our own behavior?
0: Oh, I, I absolutely think, well, listen, our history is one of being adaptable, of being able to change our behavior, sometimes for better or sometimes for worse, but I mean, we reorganized our entire species with agriculture. That was the biggest change in our entire history changed our sexual behavior changed our uh, our uh, ideas of property changed how we treated women and so on and so forth uh, some in good ways some in bad ways uh, but we've been changing absolutely continuously if we had another 1000 years to solve the problems of like racism and gender inequity and economic inequity i'm pretty sure we'd do it the problem is to get there we've got to buy ourselves time and we've got to change much more rapidly but it's change in directions that have already been going. In other Mm -hmm. words, when I was a kid, what could a woman, you know, I'm I'm, uh, 78 years old, in the mid-1930s, if you were a smart young woman, the only things you could do uh, would be to be a nurse. A teacher. yeah, teacher in lower grades, not in a university, ordinarily, with very rare exceptions. um, uh, You know, a, a secretary, maybe. Now, you know, I took I'm a pilot. I took my instrument training from a woman. Many people uh now fly on airliners that captained by women. It shows that that even in one person's life, enormous change can play, take place. I can remember when the in the I was a Brooklyn dodger fan when Jackie Robinson broke in, and there were big arguments about whether people with dark skin could actually play sports. We've gone beyond that. We haven't gone far enough, but you can see just in a relatively short time changes in the direction that we have to go much further in right, and let's one of them to is how we give an, an example
1: our... from your book of, of a story where we're seeing the change
0: well, again, we're seeing, we've seen the change dramatically uh, at a start in, in, uh, in people's concern building over environmental issues in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. And then Ronald Reagan came in as president, the most dangerous president the United States has ever had, and reversed the whole thing, took the solar panels off the uh, White House route. Uh, burned the global 2000 report, a government report saying the things we had to do to get off of the oil standard and save our climate and so on and so forth and reversed it. So human, we have an irregular path. We started in exactly the right direction to solve our environmental problems and then we got reversed by a very clever political move, uh, which was basically designed to put more money in the pockets of very rich people. And it's that redistribution from poor to rich has continued for the last 30 years and continues today. Hmm. I, I know that's not you to say that, but it's true.
1: <laughs> okay, well, let's look at it. Let's look at something that we have done again. I mean, that was one I- item, but uh, I mean, if when I look at recycling, for example, and that may seem like a small issue, but we've come such a long way in that particular issue.
0: Well, we have come a long way, and they've gone even further in uh, in Europe, where, for example, um, for instance, many countries' cars have—I don't know the exact laws—cars have to be built so they are especially recyclable, and so that there's a good indicator of people' willing people's willingness to change their behavior uh, to uh, for the social good. And we have lots of examples of that historically. Uh, people will be empathetic. People will do the right thing when they understand it. The issue we're facing now is can they get the understanding fast enough and then make the changes fast enough uh, before the sorts of things that have been happening in the Northeast uh, start hitting our agriculture to the point where we have problems feeding the world, uh which we already have. There are a billion people hungry out of those seven billion. Uh and the people who are going to be hungriest now and are going to be most affected by climate change are also armed with nuclear weapons in South Asia. And you know, that just a we've recently showed that just a small nuclear war, small in quotes, a uh, couple of hundred Hiroshima sized bombs, which are really firecrackers by today's standard, would end our civilization, would finish you and me off. And so um, it's a scary situation, and we need a lot of rapid change, which is why I'm on your program raving at you.
1: Hmm. Well, you know, it is Patricia Raskin Positive Living, and I have to use my first name in front of those two words, uh, not for not for vain purposes. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's what it is. So I think what I want to really leave my audience with, Paul, is hope.
0: Well, you, there is uh, there's lots of reason for hope you know it, it it's it's like uh we're, we're the ship has sunk and we're but we're floating around and all around us there are there are life preservers and life rafts uh and what we have to do is get ourselves Put on the life preservers and climb onto the life raft. In so other words, it's not, uh, that we're somehow barred, uh, from doing something about this. Uh, it's a matter of learning how the political system works and working that system to get the kind of rapid change we really need. Uh, and, there, you know, there's the hope in the social networking, which apparently played a substantial role in Tunisia, um, and in Egypt, uh, and those people trying to get the changes they need. So uh there's a lot of hope. The scientific community uh, has been organizing a millennium assessment of human behavior to get a global discussion going of how we change human behavior rapidly enough to keep us from going down the drain as a civilization. The thing that's scary is... We've lost lots of civilizations in the past because they didn't pay attention to their environments. Today, for the very first time, uh, we're facing the loss of a global civilization. And the thing that's positive about that is human beings have shown the ability, when they understand what's going on, to change their behavior very, very rapidly uh, and in in a positive direction. Uh, if you you probably don't remember, but in 1941, the U.S. produced something like four million. Passenger cars. The end of the year, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, and in 42, 43, 44, and 45, we produced hundreds of thousands of military trucks, hundreds of thousands of tanks, hundreds of thousands of howitzers, uh, and hundreds of thousands of military aircraft, developed nuclear weapons, uh, and uh, rationed oil, gas, uh, excuse me, gasoline, mm-hmm. sugar, so on and so forth all in a four-year period, uh, changed our economy totally, changed when we had the incentive to do it, to get a job done, and managed to do it magnificently. And then at the end of the four years, we changed the whole thing back again. Uh, you know, so there's no question that we can't. It's not a question of whether we can do it. It's a question of whether we'll get the political will together to do it.
1: So what you're saying is it's been, it's been done before.
0: It's been done before. It can be done again. Uh, we're a very, very smart organism. Uh, we just got to. Everybody's got to learn a lot more about us, how we treat each other, and how we treat the environment. If we're going to be empathetic and sympathetic with what happens to our descendants. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and and one of the things that you write a lot about is empathy. I mean, yeah. that's that's one of your main points, even on the cover of the book.
0: It's is how more-
1: we can be more empathetic. It's not just one to one. No, no, it's built 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 into our nervous
0: system. You know, look, when you want to think about empathy, if you watch a soap opera on television, like, say, Law & Order, or if you read a really good novel, you cannot help but become empathetic with the characters. If, if the hero is shot, you feel bad. Uh, if, the, uh, if the hero dies on the last page, or, or let's say gets married on the last page, finally, you feel good. And even that's even though you know the characters are totally fictitious. We have actual neurons in our brains that help us put ourselves in the position of individuals that we're observing. Uh, and that that can mean observing visually or even you know imagining from reading a uh, from reading a text and so we've got the basic equipment and the uh, empathy is you know uh, president obama said we're facing an empathy deficit and i think that's the case we you know we've really got the feel for people who for instance, get so desperate of after living mm-hmm. 30 years under a dictatorship that they're willing to sit out in the rain for, you know, in, in a square for 13 days in the sun and the rain to try and get their freedom. Uh, so, the,
1: what would you suggest people do if they can't maybe bring someone into their home who's homeless or which is more dramatic? Um, should we be giving our money to charity? Should we be joining causes? All of the above.
0: All of the above, but I think joining causes is probably the single most important thing. We are social animals; we enjoy interacting inter, uh, with other individuals. If you care, for example, about the environment, join environmental groups, organize one of your own, get your friends together, so that uh, you can sort of divide up how you understand the world. For instance, I'm lucky. If I if I need a fact on climate change, I'm not a climatologist. I know the best climatologist in the world. I can just call them up. So. Uh, You know, get your friends and divide it up and say, Susan, why don't you follow what's going on in the climate? Sam, uh, you know, you you look into the political situation and so on and form a little club and put 10% of your time into trying to make our society work better.
1: And that's teamwork. You know, that's the other part of that is that's all teamwork.
0: Exactly, and people enjoy teamwork. You know, the, the thing is it doesn't have to be nasty. It can be great fun. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, in a sense, a lot of people do this already one way or another. And uh, uh, it, it's something that needs to be encouraged. But above all, one has to learn about these things first. And, and you know, for a college professor who spent an awful lot of time uh, in books, I'm still learning all the time from my yeah, students.
1: Yeah, my next my question was going to be, what, you, what was your favorite? What did you learn in, this, in writing this book? I that learned was, a, a lot of good really stuff enjoyed.
0: from my my co-author is a brilliant psychologist, Bob Ornstein, and uh for example, I didn't know uh that young babies uh are able to imitate expressions essentially immediately when they come out of the womb <laughs> uh, which which is really a uh an amazing neurological feat. I learned a lot about psychology uh not just in this book but in working over the years with Bob and whether they psychologists and uh uh you know there's an awful lot that People ought to know about us as a species an awful lot of nonsense uh, in the literature we we for example, the idea that the ideal and and uh, perfect human family is a man who works a woman who stays home and takes care of the 2.2 uh, beautiful children who never get involved with drugs or sex,es so on is is a, a f- feature of the imagination of right wingers developed in 1945 to 50. It bears no resemblance whatsoever to human family relations or the problems people face, and so on. And yet it stays out there uh, for reasons that are almost beyond me. Uh, <laughs> words, uh, anybody who thinks the the standard nuclear family is the way things work today doesn't read the newspapers.
1: And what are the pros of that? You know, think about that. I mean, the nuclear family is very different today. What are the advantages of that?
0: From well, what the, the advantages, again, are human beings adapting to, uh, in a sense, a very strange environment. That is, the, the last few thousand years are, are unique in our history or that of any mammal, and we change all the time to fit the circumstances, and that's cheery. Because it tells us that we are not locked into today's situation. That the things that we thought were perfectly right um, uh, uh, fifty years ago, like for example, the pregnant woman uh, had to only relax. She couldn't work. She couldn't do anything. Uh, it wouldn't be good for the fetus. And it turns out to be exactly the other right way around. But a certain mm-hmm. amount of activity and a certain amount of work is good for the fetus. And so we change the way we treat uh, pregnant women. And uh, this this goes throughout society so the fact that we change is uh... is a very important thing it doesn't mean that conservatism is dumb because one of the things we want to watch all the time and it's nice to have a balance is that we don't change fad like and make mistakes when we do it in other words things that are well proven you should wait till there's a lot of evidence before you change and but we ought to be thinking all the time and discussing these things we need for instance a real discussion of uh, how one changes governance in this country. The country's mm-hmm. government is clearly broken. You know, the mm-hmm. Supreme Court's down the drain. The Congress is full of idiots. Uh, and how would you change the Constitution to get out of the kind of bind that we're in now? And that's the kind of discussion we ought to be having, just like the Founding Fathers had in the in the, uh, uh, the Federalist and Anti-Federalist papers. And it's a big order, but. Point so would
1: you we... say that's your message, is we have to talk, because we're, we're coming to the end. So is that is that what your message is? We have to get sort of out of our own ivory towers. Get out to of our, our own ivory other...
0: towers, start interacting with our friends and everybody. Tithing to their society, putting 10% of their time into trying to make society a better place, and talking to people they disagree with. Uh, because, uh, one of the fundamentals of our system is disagreement's okay. You don't have to kill somebody if you disagree with them. You can just see if you can settle your differences or come to a compromise. But we're going to have to change the way we treat our environment and how we treat other people or we face the collapse of civilization. And it's not a matter of what I'd like to see or what I think is really easy to do. It's what I and virtually all of my colleagues think is required if we're Mm. going to survive. Mm -hmm.
1: So it's a a tough message, but there's a silver lining in it if we all do our part.
0: Absolutely. The silver lining is, uh, yeah, we are running downhill in the fog uh, towards a possible bridge that's out, but we have brakes in the car, and all we have to really do is step on them.
1: Well, that's a nice image. Paul, thanks so much for being on the program. What's, um, tell people how they can find your book, Humanity, on a Tightrope.
0: Just just go to Amazon.com, it's book search, and do E-H-R-L-I-C-H, E-H-R-L-I-C-H, and, uh, and then just put in Tightrope for the title, and you'll get there. And any royalties, just go into the campaign to save our butts.
1: Mm. That's great. Well, thank you.
0: it my Thanks pleasure. so
1: much. All right. Um, all right. Thanks again.
0: Take care. Bye-bye.
1: All right. Thank you. All right, folks, remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin for Patricia Raskin Positive Living, right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. Bye for now you.